Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Neil Haley Show and the special edition of uh, Searching for Integrity and also Embracing the Abyss. John Smith is the host of Searching for Integrity, and he's wrote, written the book Embracing the Abyss, again, a crime story that's amazing. And we continue to go and uh, talk more. And what chapter are we on next, John? The chapter next is the uh, Criminal Code, Chapter 16. The criminal code, by the way, Neil, this can this can make or break anybody's, um, let's say, argument with respect to where to go, what to do. It's really difficult. Okay. The criminal code. All right, I'm ready. So let me know when you want me to go. Yeah, I'm ready. Let's get going. Let's look forward to hearing this. Okay. In March 1988, I pleaded guilty to one felony count based upon a two-part proffer containing an offense and an the offense on or about December 31, 1985 at the direction of a Vernon senior officer John Smith arranged for Vernon's subsidiary Dondi Group to pay on behalf of the delinquent DRPR buyers borrowers $2,610,000 in interest due on the delinquent DRPI loans, thereby making the loans current as of December 31, 1985. The Vernon senior officer directed Smith to make the $2 million interest payment from funds designated as a Dondi Group investment in Dondi Group subsidiary Dondi Properties. In fact, the payment at that time was not an investment, but an additional loan to the DRPI borrowers. By using, in effect, the uh, Vernon's own funds to make the DRPI borrowers current, Smith, although not the officer responsible for the preparation of Vernon's quarterly report to the bank board, for the ending quarter 1985, nonetheless, caused the report to be false. The offer... The following is the complete agreement between the Department of Justice and John Smith in which Mr. Smith agrees to enter a plea of guilty to a federal criminal violation and to cooperate with law enforcement personnel in the Northern District of Texas federal grand jury investigation and any trials involving Vernon Savings and Loan and other institutions. Mr. Smith will waive indictment and plead guilty to an information charging him with a violation of uh, 18 USC. The information will charge Mr. Smith with false statement, not under oath, and connect with Vernon's monthly or quarterly report to the Federal Home Loan Bank Board for the period ending December 31, 1985. And that's a report I had nothing to do with in terms of its preparation or its submission to the government. Mr. Smith will cooperate with the Department of Justice and agents of the Federal Bureau of Investigation and the Internal Revenue Service and criminal investigations and criminal trials concerning his employment at Vernon. Specifically, Mr. Smith will make himself available for interviews, grand jury testimony, and possible hearings and trials. Mr. Smith will also cooperate with agents at the Federal Home Loan Bank Board and the Federal Savings and Loan Insurance Corporation including attorneys representing said agencies. Also known 
as the requirement to cooperate with the bank board and the FSLIC, the Department of Justice will make known to the court at the time of sentencing, the extent of Mr. Smith's cooperation. After the above plea of guilty, my cooperation with the Department of Justice over the next seven months was critical in the determination of my sentence. Steve and I understood the importance of this crucial period of time, and there were a number of things that we began to work on. My part was to give the Justice Department everything I could and then some. My cooperation with personnel from all federal agency, requesting interviews and information sessions would be of great significance. Steve was a great, my, Steve, my lawyer, who saved me. Steve was a great communicator and proved himself to be so time and time again. His skillfulness of keeping all those involved aware and up to date was amazing. In analyzing the mission and the mission response, he quickly identified the serious impact of the criminal code. It has a scoring and sentencing guidelines. Steve's ability to change gears from civil to criminal was a saving grace. Quietly working in the background without disturbing me about what he was facing allowed me to confidently pursue and perform my roles. We both had specific goals in a limited amount of time before my sentence would be rendered. Mine was the job of trying to stay out of prison. He was keeping me, his was keeping me out of prison. The month following my guilty plea, Steve began to work in earnest with the US probation office as they would be the one to score and recommend sentences according to the guidelines. He was surprised at the misconstrued view of my criminal offense held by my pretrial probation, probation officer. His first letter to her was in March. He strenuously argued that the pre-sentence report did not adequately or accurately reflect the underlying offense. I was charged with a reporting violation, not with the improper disbursement of Vernon Savings funds and did not cause any direct loss of any funds. In April, Steve sent a request to the probation officer via my, sorry, probation office, via my probation officer that my sentence be recategorized to a lesser one based on the prosecution's own statements as to what had happened with regards to the loan payments made on the DRPI drippy properties. As late as August 1988, only six weeks before my day of sentencing, my pretrial probation officer still thought she needed to grade my offense under Chapter 3, Theft and Fraud Offenses, as a Category 6 offense. After receiving notice of this, Steve went to the Justice Department prosecuting attorneys a request for assistance, asking for their confirmation that they had no problem with the lesser offensive categorization. Steve had both hands full as he dealt with the difficulty of the federal criminal code and the mistakes being made by my pretrial probation officer. How could they continue getting it wrong? Did they always choose the worst interpretations for everyone subject to the criminal code or was it just me? Don't answer the last one. If it's going to go wrong, it's me. If it's always screwed up, it's mine. 
but that's the way I've always been. I've always dealt the most difficult, never the easiest. I surmised it must be preparation for the future, more training for the next unknown task, waiting around a karmic corner. And there you go. And through this process, is your attorney the big thing that helped you, I guess, get off this, get off it finally, being able to be, I guess, free from that? Would you help your attorney really helped you not go to jail? Absolutely. He was a godsend. It was a, um, it was, it was, it was critical what he did, what he did. And uh, he, he communicated so well with the, uh, with the FBI agents. And of course the FBI agents, they wanted me. They wanted me in trials uh, as a witness for the government. Uh, but this uh, probation officer was a real, uh, I don't know, a vicious woman. Um, that we'll get on a little more of that in another chapter when actually she visited at, the, at her house. Um, but she was, she didn't want to listen to anything other than what she wanted to interpret. So she was like a grade, a grade M doing work for grade B way down the alphabet. Wow. But thank goodness you had that. But then it's amazing to know the attorney did not help you. Your attorney didn't help you get the presidential pardon. Didn't help you finally for them to say they were wrong. That was years after he died, right? No. Um, I was being sentenced just one month away from this particular chapter. No, no, meaning like later on in the book, we're going to find out before, when, before you get the presidential pardon, your attorney passed away before you got a presidential pardon, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah he, Steve died... Um, Gosh, he died uh, t t 10 years later, I think, eight or 10 years later. Oh, wow. Okay. And so I guess the greatest lesson learned in all this process is just to stay the course, right, John? When, when things look really grim, to stay the course. Yeah. There, and I kept telling myself, this is preparation for something else down the road. This is preparation for something needed that I'm going to provide. And I've done that in a number of different ways since then over the last 30 years. Okay. So people can listen to your show uh, at searchingforintegrity.com. They can purchase the book at embracingthebiz.com. You have really good guests every week on Searching for Integrity. That's nationally syndicated radio show plus also podcast. So people just got to go out and search it and find it. Right, John? That's it. That's uh yeah, it's and that's that. Uh, I got to tell you, that's not easy. You know, everybody says they have integrity, but when it comes down to being, you know, uh, measured, it they they often fail the test. Exactly, but they can find it and all that stuff in those places, and then also you can watch this episode either video or audio uh, by going out and checking out Neil Haley as well. So appreciate it, John, for uh, stopping sure. by. It was a great simulcast, and talk soon. All right, that was searching for integrity, embracing the abyss. And the Neil Haley Show. Take care, guys.